Thank God. If you've got a Bible, get it out. Let's dig into the book of Acts as we are continuing on. We are at the end. It's taken us a year and like five months, but we are at the end. And I'm kind of sad about it. I got to be honest. Um, I just love how God's story has unraveled throughout this book. Hey, can we just bunch up a little bit? If you guys can move up, move in as much as you're comfortable at, at least. Uh, then we won't have to uh, preach to empty seats all over the place. But let's all gather together a little bit if we can. So you want to move up, move into the center a little bit, you can. Wherever you're comfortable. I don't want to, want to make anybody feel weird, but we like to be together. And so this is much better. I like that. So in, in the book of Acts chapter 28, we're at the end of it all. It's certainly not the end of what God is doing. It's only the beginning. If you remember where we started in Acts chapter 1, the very first words in the whole uh, story, uh, the whole history that we're reading right now, the very first words were, uh, my first account, Theophilus, I wrote to you to tell of all that Jesus of Nazareth began to do. And that's a key phrase that he wrote. He says, in my first account, I told you what Jesus began to do. Because by the time we get to Acts, uh, well, even in Acts chapter 1, later on, it goes beyond what Jesus began to do, and it goes into what Jesus continued to do through the church, through the disciples, through his people. And so uh, the book of Luke, which is the first account that Luke wrote, the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. He was a historian. He was a physician, a doctor. Uh, and so he went through careful, it, it, to write the book of Luke, he went to eyewitnesses and, and, and several eyewitnesses and lined up the account carefully, uh, composed it like a historical source, uh, used the timeline of who was in government at the time, who, uh, how you knew when this happened and when this happened. By the time he writes the book of Acts, he is relying on not only eyewitness accounts, but he is himself an eyewitness to several of these accounts. But it is so key that he says, my first account, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, it talks about Jesus on the earth. And he said, that was, my, that was the account of what Jesus began to do. You've got to understand that what Jesus did while he walked on the earth, what he, what he preached, what he demonstrated was only the beginning of what he was going to do through his church. So the, it, the gospels, they don't end with the cross and the resurrection. They continue through the book of Acts and they continue on to today. Jesus is alive and working in his church. And so that's the great thing. The book of Acts even in its ending, even in this last chapter that we're about to read, doesn't end with a final punctuation mark. It, it, it leaves you hanging. It, 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 it lets you know that the story continues. We are part of the book of Acts in our own way. Our chapter hasn't been written, but we're still living it out. And it is wonderful to see what God is doing in 2015. He's done it all these years and he's never changed. He's never uh, wavered. He is who he says he is. He is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. In Acts 28, uh, where we left off was that Paul had uh, left the island of Malta. And uh, he's begun to come to Rome, began to come to Rome. And so we're going to pick up in uh, the verse 11. Actually, we read 11. Let's go. We'll read 11 anyways. That'll be fine. It says, At the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship, which was wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Those uh, twin brothers were Castor and Pollux, uh, Roman mythological figures. So, uh, He's just giving you that for historical data. It has no real theological significance that I know of. So let's just move on. And they get on this boat. And it says, after we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. Syracuse is um, a city on the island of uh, Sicily, which is right, um, right near Italy, right near where Rome is. Uh, but Sicily is this great island. Syracuse used to be a Greek city. Now it's become a Roman city. So he's come a long way and he's almost home. He's, I mean, not home, but he's almost at Rome, which has been his journey this whole time. Gets to Syracuse and it says, from there, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around 
And we arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Patchouli. There we found some brethren. We were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus, we came to Rome. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. He found brethren right near Rome where he's never been yet. You know what's cool about this? So, many, so often we think the gospel relied on one or two characters. Did you notice the gospel spread to a place he hadn't yet been? When we read the book of Acts, it's so easy to believe the apostle Paul spread the gospel throughout the world. But it wasn't just one man that did. It follows his journeys. After we leave off with Peter and Philip and Stephen, we get to the point where it picks up the narrative with Paul. And so we begin to believe that Paul was the main guy. He was an important figure. But the gospel was being preached by regular, ordinary believers all over the globe. And it was spreading faster than any one man could carry it. You remember when we were reading about what God did in Ephesus. The apostle Paul set up a school there. He started with 12 guys. And he would daily teach them at the school of Tyrannus. And it says daily he was teaching them. And so the gospel spread throughout all of Asia. It didn't spread through all of Asia because Paul's sermons were being streamed live over the internet. Because of course there was no such thing yet. It, it spread because those disciples grew. And those disciples didn't stay the same group the whole time. They began to go out and spread the gospel themselves. The gospel is meant to be multiplied. It's meant to be amplified. It's meant to be spread rapidly, faster than any one person. So don't ever believe that one or two people are God's chosen people to spread the gospel. We all are part of that plan. The gospel had made its way to Rome before Paul got there. But there's a reason Paul's got to go to Rome, and it's not really to preach to the Romans. It's to preach to Caesar. And that goes back to the moment that Jesus found him on the road. The moment that Jesus found him on the road, he gave him some directives. Can you imagine? Can you imagine before you even got saved, Jesus is already telling you this is what you're going to do with your life. Some of you have experienced that. I've talked to people that, that God laid on their heart what they were going to do. And they said, I don't even know you. And he said, oh, you will. But here, this is what Jesus did. Jesus said, you're going to preach to the, the Jewish people, the Gentiles, and I'm going to place you before kings and rulers on my behalf. Well, in that day and age, there was no greater king or ruler than the emperor himself. He was not a guy you wanted to go in front of. By the time Paul gets to Rome, it's Nero at the helm. Nero started out as an okay kid. He had a mother who was insane, but not so insane as to be harmless. You know, that, that nice mixture of insane where she's just crazy enough to be crazy, but just smart enough to be dangerous. She had, his, she had Claudius most likely poisoned. She got out of her way to get her son in power, and it even got to the point where, <laughs> so history would tell us, she even wanted to sit as sort of a queen on the throne with, with her son. We all, none of us want mothers like that. But Nero had one. And that insanity seemed to be genetic because he began to believe he himself was a god. He began to get insecure. He began to persecute the church because he had to blame the great fire of Rome on someone. It's this man that Paul finds himself in front of. And the church at that time in Rome was already well established. But he's got to speak to Caesar. So he gets to Rome. In fact, it says this is how he came to Rome. Then in verse 15, he's going to backtrack and, and tell you a little bit more about his path to get to Rome. But I just want you to notice that he says the disciples there prevailed upon us to go stay with them for a few days. Don't forget this man is a prisoner at this point. God has given him such great favor with the Roman soldiers that he could have a group of church people come and say, can you stay with us for a week? And apparently the Roman guards were like, yeah, that's fine with us. You see, they'd been with this guy through a shipwreck, through a, a strange experience at Malta. And, and Paul tells us in some of his letters, I don't know if it was these guys or some other ones, but he told us in, in, in some of his other writings that many of the guards that were assigned to him, and because when he was in Rome, he, they allowed him to, to rent out his own home while he's waiting for trial. He was under house arrest, but he said, many of the guards have come to the faith. See, that's what you should be like. 
Instead of us being so ticked off that somebody's oppressing us, so upset that somebody's bothering us, why don't you just convert your oppressors? Why don't you just share the gospel with the people that have put you in chains? That's exactly what he did. We found some brethren. We were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. That's the climax of the whole book right there. Thus we came to Rome. It's been leading up to this point. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three ends to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. It was a great encouragement to him to see brothers in the faith in a place he didn't expect to find them. It was a great encouragement to him to see that there were sons and daughters of the living God. There were believers in that very city where he, had, he was on his way to. And so he took courage when he entered Rome, Paul was, allowing, was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it's known to us that it's spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Still, what great favor. The soldiers have let him. Remember, the soldiers had to rescue him from a meeting like this. This is how he got in this trouble to start with. And yet the soldiers are allowing him in this home to gather and call together great numbers of Jewish leaders to come and hear the gospel. This is what happens. So here he goes, and and, and they come, and they come from all over the place. From morning to evening, he's showing them through the scripture. He's speaking their language. He's revealing Jesus through the things they'd heard of as children. He's showing them Jesus. He's showing them the message. And here's what happens. It says, some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. You know, that key phrase is would not. You So often people say, I can't believe. I want to believe, but I can't believe. But I'll tell you the truth is, either you will or you won't. You have to choose to believe. These people chose not to believe, even when it was right in front of their noses. And all throughout history, this has happened. All throughout the scripture, this has happened. When Jesus preached, this is what happened. When Jesus did miracles, this is what happened. Seeing, they did not see. Hearing, they did not hear. And their hearts missed what God was doing. So they would not believe in verse 25. And when they they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. Here's his parting word, and it's it's a cutter. He says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. I want you to see that they have closed their eyes. We blame God. We blame people. We blame the preacher. We blame our friends. We blame all these people, but at the heart of the matter is they have closed their eyes. And the closing of your eyes is often a gradual thing. Notice it says with their ears they scarcely hear. They can still hear a little bit, but slowly over time they've resisted so much that as Jesus said, your ears have become dull. Says, this is the same thing that Jesus said after he told the parable of the sower. He says, otherwise, 
They might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. The same thing that God said through Isaiah, the same thing that Jesus quoted, the same thing that Paul is saying right now is something that we've got to hear today because it's a reality in our time that just because people say I haven't heard God, just because people say God needs to reveal himself to me doesn't mean he hasn't spoken, doesn't mean he hasn't showed up. The question is, is your heart open? Are your eyes open? Are your ears open? And the more we resist the work of the Spirit of God, I said this a few weeks ago, but I've, I've thought at times, I can stay hardened to God in this one little area. And you know, every other area I'm open to God, but, but I can say no right here. And I've thought that I could keep that resistance, that no, that hardness, I could keep it in isolation. Oh, I say yes to God in all sorts of things. But in this area, no. Don't believe that lie. Because that no will spread. Spreads like cancer. That hardness spreads. You can't isolate hardness of heart. It will spread. The best way to live is to say, I will never resist the Holy Spirit and if I do, if I resist what he's saying, if I resist what he's speaking, if I resist where he's leading me, then I will quickly repent and say, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking, but I want to go your way. Don't fall into the trap of believing that you can isolate that one part of disobedience in your life. It will spread. There are so many books in the Bible in the New Testament that come with the intent of getting these people to believe. The people that should have been waiting for Jesus. Some of them were. You remember when Jesus was a baby and brought to the temple, there were people waiting for him, even as a baby. Simeon was waiting for him. Anna was waiting for him. So you have different groups of people. You got the people that were waiting for God, that were there already, trusting the promises of God, saying, if you said the Messiah is going to come, and we see the signs, he's coming soon, then then we're going to be ready for him. We're waiting at the temple for him. You got a second group of people. Those are the people that weren't waiting at the temple for him. Those are the people that weren't really actively looking for Jesus. But when he came to their village, they came and found him. When they heard of the miracles, they went to see him, and they believed when they did. Then you got a third group of people. These are the people that knew more about the Messiah than anybody else, should have been the first to believe, but they are the people that even though they saw miracles, they didn't believe. Even though they heard the word of God, they didn't believe. Even though it stared them straight in the eyes, they refused to believe. And in this day and age, we have those folks, and you might be one, I mean, sure, you got to be one of them. You got those that, that were, you know, they were just, just couldn't wait. They, they were looking and seeking God out and they found him. Some of you say, I wasn't seeking, but he found me. And when he did, thank God, I, at some point I turned. And then there are those that no matter how many times God shows himself, they resist. And the more you resist, the harder you get. And I know that you're born again, so there's fruit in your life already. There's already fruit in your life that you've said yes to God at least once. And it was one time that really mattered. But there's going to be opportunities over and over and over again to hear, to see, and to understand by His Spirit. And we must stay soft to the working of God. He says to these people, it's, it's, it's sad that this is how the book of Acts ends. But there's hope in it. In verse 28, he says, Therefore let it be known to you, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute amongst themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Praise the Lord for that. But it really ends, that's a bit of an epilogue, but it really ends... With this statement, if you won't listen, we'll move on to the Gentiles. It's not the first time he said that. You guys remember? He said something similar in Pisidian Antioch. He said something similar in Corinth. This is something that keeps coming up. In Acts chapter 13, we, we almost saw the same speech. 
you'll notice something that God told Paul, and he says it in his letters, to preach to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. So everywhere the apostle Paul went, he went first to the synagogue. If he couldn't find a synagogue, he found where the Jewish people were praying. That's why in one city, he says, I found, he says, there was no synagogue, so we found the place of prayer. He always went to the Jewish people first. He honored them in the covenant they had with God and said, will you listen? And many of those Jewish people, just like him, just like the disciples, were born again. Thank God. But there were also those that turned away. So in Acts 13, he says something very similar. You guys will remember if you were there. He said, you guys had your chance. He says, but you've rejected what I've had to say. So since you judge yourselves unworthy of the gospel, I'm turning to the Gentiles. Isn't that a powerful thought? That God himself has not judged you unworthy. That he has said, for everyone that will hear, for everyone that will come to me, I will cast none of you aside. But the only one now, now that Jesus has shed his blood, that even the, even the lowest of the low could be made worthy in his sight. Now the only person that can judge you unworthy is you. How do we judge ourselves unworthy? By resisting and rejecting. Isn't that sad? Hebrews is written with this in mind. He's begging the brethren. He's begging these people, don't stay in the old ways when there's a new covenant, a new high priest, a new and better way. Turn. And he says, don't be like your fathers who were stubborn. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't be like your forefathers who resisted. And he's begging them. He says, guys, if you, re- if you reject this sacrifice, there's not another one. He says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God is here and he's appearing and he's saying now. And it comes throughout all the scripture. You see things like in Isaiah 55 where where the Lord says, why are you guys wasting all your money and your time on things that will never satisfy you? And he says this phrase and this phrase sticks with me. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Now, that's interesting because you say, isn't God everywhere? If Jesus said, he who seeks finds and he who knocks the door will be open, he who asks receives, is there, why would God go out of his way to say, seek me while I am to be found? Call upon me while I'm near. We would say, isn't he always near? Isn't he always able to be found? And yes, you're right. But there are moments, there are periods of time where God has opened a door of belief, where God has opened a door for you and you must walk through and not just keep putting it off. And I want to remind you what Jesus said as he cried, as he wept over Jerusalem. He didn't come to Jerusalem and say, I love this city. My favorite city. He loved Jerusalem, but that's, he wasn't saying, God, boys, aren't you glad to be back in the big city? When he got to Jerusalem, he wept. He said, oh, Jerusalem, how I wish I could have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. He says, oh, how I wish you would have known what the things which made for peace. But now they're hidden from your sight. Now your enemies will throw up barricades against you. And only, only a few, just like three decades later, that exact thing happened. Three, four decades later, that exact thing happened. The Romans put barricades against the city of Jerusalem and it was destroyed. And Jesus says, you could have avoided this, but you've missed your day of visitation. Did God give up on the Jewish people after that? No, he didn't. In fact, the book of Romans tells us that God will never, ever nullify his covenant with them, which means until the end of the day, Until the Lord's return, God's not done with that group of people. He will not break his covenant with Abraham. Thank God. And yet there are times of visitation. And yet that group of people missed their day. Let me give you an example of how that could happen. When we see the first folks come into the promise, come right up to the promised land, stand at the edge of it, send spies into the promised land, and they refuse to go. They all die in the wilderness. But did God say, none of you ever get to go to the promised land? No. He kept his promise. But a generation died in the wilderness 
because they missed their day. Did you know a little-known story? It's in the Bible, but not a lot of people talk about it. Not long after they left, they got up to the promised land. They looked in. They got spies. Ten spies came back and said, we can't go in. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said we can't. That's well-known, but here's the little-known part. After they left, a group of them says, let's go in. We changed our mind. We're sorry. (laughs) You'd think God would be with those people, wouldn't you? But you know what? God wasn't with them. Their plan failed because there is a time, there is a moment to respond to God. And you can't just keep putting that off and think it'll just any day now I can do this. God will never break his covenant with you. God is a covenant-keeping God. The Bible says when we are faithless, he remains faithful. When we break covenant, he keeps covenant. But there are things we miss out on because we refused to respond when he wanted you to respond. You say, what about maybe next year I'll do this. Well, God, you know what? Not right now. Maybe, you know what? I'm just going to keep saying no. And maybe at some point I'll say yes. Don't test God. He is merciful. He is faithful. I know from personal experience that we serve a God who gives you chance after chance after chance, but don't take advantage of that. Don't take that for granted. You understand what I'm saying? Just because God is a God of mercy. Don't say, well, I'm going to wait because there are moments. God is so faithful that sometimes he, he, you know, the Bible says well, the gift of, gifts and calling of God are without repentance, right? That means he doesn't take back the calling. He doesn't take back the gifts that he's given you. But that doesn't mean he won't find somebody who'll do what you refuse to do. Did you know that? What if God, let me just ask you, what if God called you to a village in India? He called you to that village. And you say no. Do you think God's going to let all those people perish because you said no? No, he'll find somebody who'll do it. And 15 years later, you decide, oh, yeah, here I am, Lord, send me. You might have missed that chance. Does it mean that God won't use you again? No, he is so good and merciful. But it does mean you might have missed what God was grooming you for. And I've seen it happen. I mean, I, 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 I've, I don't know. We've, we've heard lots. I've heard lots of... Great men and women of God that were doing amazing things. And, and a few of them have said this. When, we, when they talked to the Lord about it, they felt he was saying, you're not my first choice. I've asked other people to do this, and they said no. Those are the moments you just say, God, why'd you have to tell me that? It's like you don't tell your wife you weren't my first choice. Mine was, but you don't tell your wife that. You know, say you, you weren't my first choice. I was after a couple others. They said, no, so here you are. <laughs> but it's a humbling thing to know. Sometimes God loves these people enough that he's not going to break his promise to them just because you said no. He'll find somebody that will say yes. This is what Paul's saying to the Jews. He says, you know what? You can say no, but I'll turn to a people that will believe. I'll go to a people that will hear. There are times where God sends a man or a woman of God to preach a message to a church or to a group of people because they're the church, they're the group of people that are supposed to get it done. They say no. God sends that guy, some, guy or woman to someone else. They'll get it done. And I don't want to be that person that says no and gets passed over. Do I believe that God will be done with me and he'll throw me in the lake of fire because I said no? No, I don't believe that. But I do believe there's a day of visitation. There are several days of visitation throughout your life where God is saying, will you do this? And your response has got to be yes. Because hardness spreads. Callousness spreads. You know that old man that says, maybe he's middle-aged. He's not old, he's middle-aged. He says, well, I believe what you're saying. I believe what you're saying. I believe God exists. I even believe what G- about Jesus. What you're saying sounds true, but I just want to live my life a little bit, and then I'll, I'll say yes later. You know what the Bible says over and over again? You don't know the number of your days. You don't know how long you've got. 
And you don't know what you're giving up by saying no, by saying no, by saying no. Just don't ever say no when you can say yes to God. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Why would we? Because there is a point, guys, where God will find someone that will say yes. I don't say this to condemn you. I say this to encourage you. Be the one that says yes. I want to remind you of what happened to a man who was picked out of the country, who was picked out of the hillbillies themselves, and God used this man to do great things. He was the least likely to be picked, and yet God picked him to be, the, to be one of the great leaders. God even sent his prophet to anoint this man. God gave him miracle after miracle. God allowed him to see sign and wonder after sign and wonder that, that God had picked him. He even prophesied when he was amongst the prophets. This man was Saul, and he was God's first choice to be king of Israel. Do you realize if Saul had stayed faithful to God, Jesus would have come from his line. But Saul was not. Saul was for a while. In fact, Saul was not a guy that was hateful toward God. Saul was not a guy who had an evil heart. Although the Bible says in Hebrews that an evil heart is a little bit different than we would describe it. It says, take care. And he talks about the Israelites that were afraid to go in. He says, take care that none of you fall away because of a wicked and unbelieving heart. You see, we think an evil heart is somebody that wants to murder people. Somebody that wants to steal from people. But you know, the scripture says an evil heart's an unbelieving heart. Sometimes we say an unbelieving heart is a cautious heart or uh, just somebody that's, that's a little bit more shy. But the scripture says if you're unbelieving, that's wickedness. Don't let that creep into your heart. Guys, every one of you is made in the image of God. Every one of you has been made in his likeness. You carry his DNA because you're born again. You carry his DNA. When you got born again, he adopted you radically. He changed you. He transformed you. And there's something beautiful about that. But that heart that he gave you, that heart that he set aside, you know, that spirit became new. But you still have to deal with your old nature sometimes. And sometimes the phrase, follow your heart, is deceitful. Because many times what we mean by follow your heart is follow your soul, and your soul is not trustworthy. In fact, the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? <laughs> you know what you need to do? You need to follow God. Follow the Spirit. And I want to read you what God said to Saul. Because Saul was not always a villain. Saul was a great man of God. The prophet came and found him. And God said, I picked you, Saul. And Saul wanted to please God. He wanted to please God, but you know what Saul's problem was? More than wanted to please God, he wanted to please people. And that is a trap. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. This is what Samuel says to Saul, after Saul did what God told him not to do, even though it seemed like a nice thing. You know, sometimes our ideas seem good, but if it didn't come from God, that doesn't make it right. He says, we're going to skip ahead. I encourage you to read this whole thing, but in verse 24 of 1 Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15, 24. Actually, you know what? Let's start in verse 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? See, Saul thought, if I, if I offer some sacrifices, it'll all be okay, right? Isn't it funny how we try to cover up our disobedience? I say, well, I'll do this for you. We bargain. God's not looking for a bargain. He's looking for an obedient heart. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. 
and to heed, in other words, to listen to what God said is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination means that it's witchcraft. You were communicating with the spirits. And and, and in in in, in the law of Moses, you'd be put to death for that. He says rebellion is the same thing. He says, insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And Saul didn't come straight out and say, I'm going to disobey God. He just tried to alter God's words a little bit so he could compromise and make everybody feel good. He, the Lord, you know, Samuel said, wait for me. Don't offer a sacrifice until I get there. But Saul, Saul did. God had told them to wipe out, don't even take any animals from this country that you're, that you're fighting. Don't even take anything. And he did. But you see, these things didn't seem like a big deal, but they were. He says, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. See, it doesn't say that God rejected Saul as a person doesn't say that God rejected Saul and says, I, you know, I'll never have anything to do with you again. Because even God had mercy on Saul over and over again, even after this. But he says, there was a role I had you to fill. I wanted you to be king. And you can't be king anymore. Because you can't be trusted with that. We got to understand that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. But there are things. There are roles and, and, and things that he's called you to, opportunities he puts in front of you. And guys, you can miss your chance. You can disqualify yourself. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I run in such a way as to not be disqualified. If he says, I don't want to be disqualified, you obviously can be disqualified. He's not talking about being disqualified from being a child of God. He's being disqualified from ministry. And each one of you has got something God's got for you. You've got a role. You've got a call on your life. Don't be disqualified because you were too rebellious or even afraid to act on what God said. He said this. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and I listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I might worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, will not return with you, for you rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from becoming king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and it's given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Isn't that interesting? Samuel is saying this. While God is saying, I chose you as king, now I'm choosing another. Wouldn't that seem like God is changing his mind? But he's not. He's saying, here's what I'm doing. See, I, I, called, I called these people. I said I'd give them a king, and I will. And you were that guy. And now you're being rejected. So God's integrity is not in question here. There are certain things, there are certain roles that, that, that you have got to honor and say, I've got to hear the voice of God. If I disobey the voice of God, somebody else, God will find somebody else that will do the that's job. Right, that's, right. that's kind of a hard thing to hear. It's not even a fun thing for me to say to you. Because you know what? I've had plenty of opportunities in life where God could have rejected me. <laughs> but he was merciful to me. Thank God, I hope I was quick to repent. Quick to repent is a good thing. But as Saul found out, you know, the world tells you um, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Right? Sometimes we treat God like that. Well, you know, I'll just go and do my thing. He'll always forgive me. You know, he will. But don't test the Lord your God like that. And there are times where you you give up his best because you just chose to do your own thing and then ask forgiveness later. He'll cleanse you. He will wash you with his blood. He will justify you in his eyes. And you will stand before the king at the end of the day, and he will not hold your sin against you. But you will also, you might also find yourself among those that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 that were rescued from hell, were rescued from the fire, but have nothing to show for their lives because what they built 
was not on the right foundation, was not with the right materials, and it burned up. And so at the end of their life, there may be no punishment because Jesus took their sin, but there's also no reward. You don't want to be that guy. So here he says this. The glory of Israel, that's God. He will not lie or change his mind. For he's not a man that he should change his mind. People change their mind, God doesn't. Then he said, I've sinned. But please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. That's a sad story. As you know, God went and found David, a man after his own heart. You know, we talk about that statement, a man after my own heart, and we talk about it as if God said that when David was an old man, but you remember when God said that, David was just a shepherd. When God said that, there's when Samuel was looking for Saul's replacement. He said, I, I have a guy. He's a man after my heart. See, that's what God is looking for. He's not looking for the great or the strong. He's not looking for the talented or the well-connected. He's looking for those that are after his heart. Are you after his heart? In order to be after his heart, you've got to have a heart that's open to him yeah. and open to his voice. And I want, I want you to know David's son, Solomon, learned something from his dad. And Solomon, unfortunately, threw it all away. Once again, he wanted to please people, so he made political alliances and political marriages. And he went ahead and served their gods. But Solomon, before that, actually did something right. You remember, he was the wisest man. Yeah. Probably the world is known besides Jesus. And why was that? What did he ask for? You know, God says, what do you want from me? He could have said, I want riches. He could have said, I want connections. He could have said, I want... But he said, uh, some translations say wisdom, but if you look at it up in the Hebrew, he says, oh, give me a hearing heart. Give me a hearing heart. See, that's what we're looking for. That hearing heart gave him wisdom. Because whenever he needed an answer, he got it from God. I want a hearing heart. I don't want a heart that says, I got a better idea or I'll do it later. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I'll do it later is not your answer. I'll say yes now is your answer. I don't want to be the people that Jesus weeps over and says, you missed your day of visitation. Now, does that mean he's done with you? No, it doesn't. Because he never, he, he just, he kept sending the disciples. In fact, only like 50 days late, 50 something days later, he sent his disciples to preach to those same people and offer them a chance to get born again. But they missed their moment to receive Jesus as he walked the earth and to, to be part of his kingdom. People are always missing what the Lord has so graciously given. Stop saying, I'll do it later. Stop saying, I'll say yes later. Stop saying, I'll say no, but you know, God will be persistent. God is persistent. His love is relentless. And yet, if you say no, he'll, he'll find someone that say yes. And in this case, Paul said what he said before. If you keep saying no, I'll find somebody else that'll listen. Jesus says to one church in the book of Revelation, he says, if you don't go back and change the things I'm telling you to change, I'll, I'll remove the, the lampstand. He talks about seven lampstands, those seven churches in, F, in, in uh, Asia Minor. A lampstand is where you put a light that's meant to have influence. God had given these churches influence over their region, had given them effectiveness in their region. They were ha making a difference. But he says, guys, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, I will remove the lampstand. I'll give it to somebody else. I'll find a church that'll do what I want them to do. And you might, you'll still meet together. You'll still have a lovely little time, be a nice little group of people, but you won't be affecting your community. You won't, you won't be the light. You'll be a light on the ground and not a light on the lampstand. You know, the scripture says he exalts who he wants to exalt and he humbles who he wants to humble. And it turns out the people that he exalts are the ones that humble themselves. And the ones that he brings down are the ones that have puffed themselves up and exalted themselves. And I say this to you because I love you guys. And I love the people that are listening online. And I want you to know, as people that I have been called to preach to, don't, don't, don't reject what God is saying. Don't put it off.
Because you can only put him off for so long and he'll find someone else. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. Doesn't mean you're not his kid anymore. Doesn't mean he doesn't like you. But it does mean there are certain things that he's called you to that he won't wait around forever. There's a real run around the church message, isn't it? <laughs> I'll tell you from my own experience. Like I said, there have been times where I said no and God was patient with me. He, he stuck with me until I said yes. But I, I know that had I said no maybe one more time, had I, had I run the other way like Jonah did, it would not have been as easy of a path. And there were times in my life, I know this, there were times in my life where I, I could have had a better time had I just said yes right away. And I chose the hard way. Don't choose the hard way. Choose his way. What God is looking for is obedient people. Well, he's looking for people that will say yes. He's looking for people that say, your, your ideas are better than my ideas. Guess what? Uh, you, you, you will have uh, uh, just uh, an infinitely more satisfying life if you choose to please God rather than to please people. Whether it be your, your coworkers, your friends, your, your parents, even your kids, choose to please God. And I know... We can only please God through what Jesus did for us. We couldn't please God in our own works. We couldn't please God by our own abilities. I know that. What you got to do, what does please God? The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when we resist what God is saying, we resist his voice, we're showing we don't have faith in him. That's impossible to please him without that faith. When, when God goes ahead and says that in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he goes and lists a bunch of crazy people that did crazy things because the Lord told them to. An old man who started building a giant boat, giant barge in the middle of a landlocked area that didn't even, had never really seen a major flood. That guy, by faith, he built an ark. The, the old man who left his homeland where his inheritance was, where his family, where his relatives were, where he owned property and started wandering, took a bunch of tents and started wandering in a, in a land he had no idea where he was going because God told him to go. By faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And it goes on and on with people who just believe God. And I said, makes no sense, but they said Yes. And what God's looking is for your yes. Isn't that crazy? That's what he's looking for yeah. is your yes. Will you say yes? He'll do the rest of it. You say, you say, well, I'm not qualified. No, of course you're not, but he is. You say, I'm not strong enough. No, you're not, but he is. I'm not rich enough. No, you're not, but he is. Yeah. Just say yes. He'll do all the rest. Don't let him pass to somebody else to say yes. Be the one, be the one that says yes. And you might be like some of those people I was telling you about. You might be number seven on his list, but I'd rather be number seven on his list that said yes than number one who said no. Right? God is faithful. If you've said no to God before, he's not done with you yet. Be quick to repent. Be quick to turn. Be quick, and if there's something right now that's been gnawing at you, even as we're talking, Go and, go and do it. You know, at first ask him if you're still, God, am I still supposed to do that? He might say, time has passed. I got something different for you. But don't wait. Don't wait. Move on it. You ever have that moment where God tells you to write somebody a check? And you think they're doing fine. But God told you to? Three years later, you give them a check. and They go, three years ago, I needed that. But better late than never. <laughs> Just say yes. I guarantee that is the only way to live. So let's stand together and we're going to bless the Lord. We're going to just uh, don't allow condemnation to work in your heart. Don't allow guilt to lead you around, but be quick to repent. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing to repent. Oh, how the Bible says that angels rejoice when people repent. It's not a sad time. It's a good time. Be quick to say yes to God. If you've said no, go back and say, Lord, I'm sorry for saying no. I'm, here I am to say yes. You could be like me when I was a little kid. I was four years old. 
My dad called me up to be part of some object lesson he was doing as he was preaching, and I said no. My dad never talked to me about that. He never got on to me, never spanked me or anything. But I saw the look in his eyes. It was just, it was just a brief flash of disappointment because he wanted me to do it. And he went and he found somebody else that would do it. Levi, you found your dad. I don't know what type of object lesson a four-year-old and Ron Walk had in common. But I remember he got your dad to come up. And I said at that moment, some of you heard me say this before, I said at that moment, I will never say no again. I'll never say no again. So I remember the next time that I was asked to do something, and I said, I remember that moment. I said, I'll, I'll never say no again. And though I was terrified, I said yes. First time I was asked to preach in another nation, and I was not prepared to preach, I heard myself as a little boy saying, I'll never say no again. And I said yes. Learn from the times you said no. Instead of feeling guilty for the rest of your life, use it as fuel for the next time and say, I'll never say no again. I'll say yes. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you have been faithful. You haven't given up on your people. You've given us time after time. You've been faithful, merciful. But Lord, forgive us of our rebellion at times, of our disobedience, of our stubbornness and our obstinacy. Where we thought we could just put you off. Or we thought you'd understand if we went ahead and did our own thing. And we could just ask permission or forgiveness later. Lord, I, we are your servants. We're your sons. We're your daughters. We have royalty running in our blood, and yet we've been called to listen, to obey your voice. Father, I ask that our hearts be softened, not hardened. That your people would have soft hearts towards the king's voice. And a stranger's voice we will not follow. People we won't fear. We won't worry about the opinions of other people. We'll only care what you think. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you very much. I encourage you, you know what? Like I said, don't, don't go home and think, get, feel guilty about everything you didn't do. Use it as fuel and say, I, the past is behind me. The future's ahead of me. And I'm going to say yes to God. Amen.